Well, thank you, Melody and Jessica. I appreciate your work with our little ones downstairs. And again, they could always use uh, intentional help, those who want to help and actually do ministry, sharing the truth of God's Word to little people. Well, good morning, everyone. Please take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John. We're back in John today, chapter 6, for our study. We'll be starting in verse 30. Uh, Eventually, we'll go all the way to the end of this chapter. Uh, So that's 41 verses. I hope we make it. It's a lot of verses, but I'm not going to read all of them just now. We'll just go from 30 to 59 for right now. But uh, Jesus has just just fed the 5,000. And we're in a situation where the crowds are really pressing on Jesus about who he is. And of course, we're going to find out that they're really there for the wrong reason. So let's take a look at verse 30 of John chapter 6. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Well, who doesn't like a fresh loaf of bread? Doesn't it look delicious? Oh, you should just smell it. Kathy and I um, lived in the Peoria, Illinois area for a while right after we were married. And I, of course, I'd grown up in the Peoria, Illinois area. And uh, 
There's a restaurant down there uh, in Peoria called Avanti's. Has anybody ever heard of Avanti's? As you might guess, it's an Italian place. And uh, they, you can order these sandwiches from Avanti's that are incredibly fantastic. Can I just describe it for you? Sure. Here's what's on an Avanti's sandwich. They call them gondolas. Isn't that a great name for a sandwich? I'd like three gondolas. I mean, that's a great thing to say, right? So here's what's on it. Ham, salami, American cheese, and lettuce. And you kind of go, so? It's the bread. It's the bread that's killer. It's fantastic. It's incredible bread. Bread can make all the difference. Bread is that which brings life. Scripture says that all over the place. Kathy and I, having lived in Europe, man, there's bread everywhere, and it's fresh baked every day. They don't have all that extra ingredients in it, try to keep it longer on the shelf. No, you buy it, you eat it, and it's delicious. We all could use some bread, some good, awesome Avanti's bread. As we'll see today, Jesus is the ultimate bread. He's the ultimate bread of life. And as we'll see today, some just want to see signs from God. God is the only one who can give you true bread. Jesus is the only one who can give you life. Some just want to make demands on God. But Jesus is the ultimate bread of life. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our hunger and thirst. Jesus will bless us for our belief in him, and Jesus is sovereign over all those who are his. But some just want to grumble against God. We need to stop grumbling against God. Instead, we should reflect on God's awesome provision. Some people just want to argue. Some will choose to be offended by what Jesus said. But no matter what, Jesus is the only one who has words of life. In our message series, we've been proclaiming these things that you may believe. Today's focus is precisely on Jesus, the very bread of life for all of us. Jesus had just recently fed the 5,000, and now even more people have gathered wanting Jesus to perform more signs for them. In other words, they are all there for the wrong reasons. They're not there for who Jesus is. They are there to get something from him. Similarly, we often find ourselves following God, leaning into God, crying out to God because we want something more from him instead of serving him, loving him, and honoring him because of who he is. He is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. He is God with meat on him. That's what the incarnation means, carn, right? If you, if you order chili con carne, that's chili with meat in it. The incarnation of Christ is God with meat on him. He's Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So Jesus is going to push the envelope with his rhetoric today, and he's going to implement a church reduction program. Stay tuned, watch how this works. Through the use of hyperbole, we'll talk about what that is in just a moment, a little bit further. But today I have six biblical truths for your consideration by way of an extended dialogue between Jesus and the crowd and then with Jesus and his disciples. But before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for this brief moment in time where we can open your word and dive into it. Oh God, we want to we dive deep. We want to learn much. So Lord, we ask that you would guide us and direct us into your truth, that we might be able to apply these things that we hear from your word in reality in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us through the work of the Holy Spirit who's with us even right now. Help us to have right understanding and meaning 
from this text. Be our teacher. Be our guide. We cry out to you. We pray this in your son's wonderful and awesome name this morning. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth. Some, some people just want to see signs from God. Are you that kind of person? I just want to see God do something. Verse 30 says, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Hey, Jesus, if you're all that, do something. Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. There will always be those who just want to see signs from God. It's fascinating, isn't it? He just fed all these people a few days ago, and now they just want more. Do another trick for us, Jesus. Basically, the question for Jesus here is, who do you think you are, Jesus? Do you think you're better than Moses? By the way, what's the answer to that? Yes, he is. Here, Jesus makes it very clear that he is the ultimate sign from God. Listen to Jesus' answer. First of all, Jesus makes it very clear that God is the only one who can give us true bread. Only God can give true bread. I mean, Avani's bread is pretty good, but no, true bread is only from God. Notice what it said in verse 32. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Only God can give us true bread. What God says will always be true. Numbers 23, 19, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will not he fulfill it? God, our God, is not a liar. That's why we call it true bread. That's what he called it, and we should agree with him on that. You see, we wrestle with this because it seems that everyone lies. Everyone seems to be a liar at some point or another. It's hard for us to even imagine someone who is completely true. We sit back and we wait to be disappointed when people are talking. But Moses reminds us in Deuteronomy 8.3, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, and it is always true. But also notice the sourcing. We're talking about heavenly bread. We're not talking about bread from an Italian restaurant in Peoria, Illinois. Heavenly bread. Seven times it's mentioned. Verse 32, 33, 38, 41, verse 50, 51, 58. Did you get all those? See me afterwards. I'll make sure you find them all. In other words, Jesus, because of the number seven, is the perfect and complete bread of life that has come down out of heaven for us. And I ask you, what are you looking for? Jesus is all that you need. God is the only one who can give us true bread. And secondly here, Jesus is the only one who can give us life. Why? Because he's actually the bread itself. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now notice, this is a dialogue. Jesus is talking to the crowds. Imagine that Jesus isn't up there just monologuing, talking like this. Jesus, I am the bread of life. He's not doing that. No, I'm the bread of life. Hello, wake up. Notice what he says. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. This bread is not an it, it is a he, it is himself. Jesus, by the way, is not, is not just a, a meal or a snack. He's a banquet for a lifetime, a banquet that will bring life to you. Again, the irony here is that the people who have been following Jesus all the way up to Capernaum on the north end of the Sea of Galilee are the same ones that Jesus just fed the other day. And in other words, they had just experienced a sign and now they want more. Amazing. You don't do that with God, do you? God comes through for you in an awesome way and then five minutes later, we are wanting more evidence that he is there and that he cares. We need to recognize how blessed our lives really are already. Years ago, I was 
acting as a youth pastor in the church Kathy and I were at in Wisconsin. And uh, I had an opportunity to do some ministry with the pastor's son. He's a high school student, and I'm the youth guy. And so I'm trying to get in this guy's face, this young man trying to help him to walk with Christ and uh, two of his buddies. And so I'm meeting with these guys at, you know, once a week at 7 p.m. up in the church pastor's office, the youth pastor's office, and, and I bring, you know, Pop-Tarts and chocolate milk. That'll always bring teenagers to follow after you. So they're there, and I'm dealing with this guy, trying to show him the truths of God's word and what matters in life. And um, several months later, he ends up in a horrible automobile accident. And uh, we were talking after the accident. His car was completely totaled, smashed up. And, and as he's talking to me, he goes, boy, I just I don't understand why, why God wanted my car all smashed up. I said, Jesse, you're asking the wrong question. The better question is, why are you still here? <laughs> That's the better question. What does he have in mind for you that you still exist, that you're still on the planet, that you still have another breath? Why are you still alive? It's only Jesus who can give us life. It's fascinating. By God's grace, Jesse later became a church planter in central Illinois, which is pretty awesome. Jesus is the only one who can give us life. He's the only one who can give us true bread. Some just want to see signs from God. But secondly, there are those who just want to make demands on God. Once the crowd hears this, look at verse 34. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. If you've got that kind of bread, we'll take some. After hearing Jesus' words, the crowds demand that Jesus feed them from here on out. Give us this bread always, they say. And we make the same demands on God. Give me, feed me, heal me, defend me, fix me, fix that other guy. <laughs> fix my spouse, fix my son or daughter. However, Jesus responds by making it clear that he is, in fact, all that we need First of all here, Jesus indeed is the ultimate bread of life. He simply says to them in verse 35, I am the bread of life. And you can imagine him gesticulating, hey guys, I'm the bread of life. I'm the deal. And by the way, this is the first of the seven I am statements from Jesus in John's gospel. He says, I am the bread of life, but he also says, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the great shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. If you want life, then you need to dine on Jesus, he says. Again, imagine Jesus gesturing here, I'm the bread of life. But secondly here, Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our hunger and thirst. What are you longing for? What are you thirsting after? I'd like to remind you, we're often searching after the wrong things. Jesus says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Are you hearing that? Never hunger, never thirst. Are you coming to him? Are you believing in him? Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 23. I want you to see this. Psalm 23. Keep your finger where we were in John. But you know this psalm. But there's a few things I want to point out to you about it in relationship to this discussion today. Psalm 23. David, who wrote this psalm, this psalm that is so pregnant with such spiritual beauty and insight. Notice what he says in verse 1 of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I know you've probably heard that a gazillion times. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What is he saying here? What he's saying here is in light of the fact that the Lord is my shepherd... I will not be in a place where I will be in need of anything. I don't need to want anymore. I'm done with that. 
Why? Because he is my provision. He's all that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. If you're a sheep, what do you want? Green pastures. Let's eat. He leads me beside still waters. Oh. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table. A table? You mean more eating? Yes. Before me, in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Never hunger, never thirst. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As you walk throughout life, goodness and mercy are following you. You can't, if you're in Christ, you can't get away from it. You'll not be in want. This is who our God is. This is not a prayer request. It's a matter of fact. I don't know about you, but when I read Psalm 23, I'm like, where do I sign up for this? Notice that for those who follow Christ, there is complete satisfaction. My cup overflows. Beloved, Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our hunger and thirst. And the sad truth here is that we simply don't believe it. And so what do we do? We try to satisfy ourselves other ways. And it doesn't cut it. Why? Because there's only one who can make the difference. There's only one who can ultimately satisfy. It's him. Always has been. Can you say in this moment, I choose to be satisfied only by Jesus? I hope you can. Jesus is the ultimate bread of life. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our hunger and thirst. Thirdly here, Jesus will bless us for our belief in him. Notice what Jesus says in verse 36. It was a terrible indictment to the crowd as they're listening. But I said to you that you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. You still don't get it. You're still lost. You've seen me, and you do not believe. What a huge tragedy to be so close to Christ and to miss out on who he is especially in a postmodern society where all of us have been conditioned to doubt everything, even things we've seen with our own eyes. Remember that one time when, after the resurrection, always amazes me. Remember Thomas, the, the guy from Missouri? He's from the show me state, right? He's not gonna, I don't, I, don't think he's, I don't think he rose from the dead. I think he's still dead. I saw him on the cross. He was all dead and everything. I'm out, I'm done. Thomas, Mr. Doubter guy. Unless I see the nail prints in his hands, have a little conversation with him, I'm out. And so one day, these guys, the disciples convinced Thomas to hang around with them, and Jesus shows up. And I love, I love what Jesus does with Thomas. You know, you think, you know, after all this... <laughs> He used to go, hey, Thomas, you big goofinator. I told you I'd be back. You know, he doesn't say that. He doesn't, he doesn't ridicule Thomas. He doesn't get on his case. He just says, come check it out, Tom. Put your, put your, feet, put your hand on my side. Check it out. What's Thomas's response? My Lord and my God. What does Jesus say to that? This huge reaction Jesus says to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Here are the crowds who are seeing Jesus, but they don't believe. Here, we've never seen him, and yet we do believe. How blessed are you if you do? Jesus will bless us for our belief in him. But fourthly here, Jesus is sovereign over all those who are his. He's sovereign completely in control of all those who belong to him. Notice what Jesus says in verse 37. And he's very emphatic. He's, he's not uh, mealy mouth about this. He's not wishy-washy. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 
For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. You see, it turns out that God's will in spiritual matters is superior to ours. Only God has any right to make any demands here. You recall by way of the Lord's Prayer, where we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. By the way, that's not a request. That's an acknowledgement. Your will's going to be done on earth as it's already being done in heaven. It's a matter of fact. We don't get to petition in the Lord's Prayer until we ask for daily bread. But thy will be done. He's out to do his will. There's four truths here that pop out of this passage. If you are his, if you belong to Christ through faith, you will most certainly come to him. That's what the text says in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. But not only that, if you are his, he will not lose you. Verse 37, I will never cast out. Verse 39, I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. If you belong to him, he's got you. He plays for keeps. You can't get away from him, even though you might struggle to do so. But thirdly, if you belong to him, he will raise you up. That's what he says in verse 39. I will raise it up on the last day, he says. And fourthly here, if you are his, he will grant you. He will give you eternal life. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Beloved, he is so sovereign over all those who are his. He will bless us for our belief in him. He is the only one who can satisfy us. He is the ultimate bread of life. But thirdly, even after hearing all that, some just want to grumble against God. You'd think people would go, this is fantastic. Where do I sign up for this? No, there's always grumblers. Verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him. Why? Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, you know, don't we know this guy? Son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Notice what they're grumbling about. Hey, wait a minute, Jesus. We know who you are. We know your mom and dad. We know where you came from. How do you now say, I am the bread that comes down out of heaven? You're confused and deluded. Sadly, there will always be grumblers in the world. I know, I know, none of you ever grumble about anything. I know. It's those other people. But beloved, we need to stop grumbling. And in particular, we need to stop grumbling against God. This is what Jesus responds in verse 43. He answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. Knock it off. Stop it. We need to recognize that when we grumble and murmur in our circumstances, watch this, we are literally grumbling against God who is the author of our circumstances. I'm not talking about the calamities we brought up against ourselves because of our own rebellion against God. You know, we have that coming to us. But even still, we have no right to grumble against God, even when we have brought things on ourselves. What an irony here. We sin against God, and God allows the consequences to come because of our rebellion, and then we grumble against him for it. Beloved, no matter what the case, we have no right before God to grumble about anything. Again, it's even more amazing that we even get our next breath. But rather, we should reflect on God's awesome provision. Four more truths here from this text. First of all, he's drawn us to himself in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The only reason you follow Christ is because he first loved you. He came after you and brought you to himself by his sheer grace. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. But not only that, he will raise us up on the last day. And I will raise him up on the last day, he says. But thirdly here, he will teach us everything we need to know. It's written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. This is where we're going to learn what God has to say about these things. But fourthly here, 
you'll make sure we come to him. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, he says. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. You can see him gesticulating towards himself. He, he has seen the Father. I've, Jesus is saying of himself, I've seen him. We should reflect on God's awesome provision. Think about your life right now. Think about all the awesome provision he has provided for you in crazy ways that you never thought were possible. When Kathy and I made our way to Budapest, Hungary to serve for several years in the International Baptist Church of Budapest, Budapest, Hungary, we were given an opportunity to pack our belongings in an 8 by 8 by 20 container, which that's like half a truck. It's not a whole truck. It's like a, it's, you know, 20 feet. You know, it's not all that big, 8 by 8, right? Not all that big. And we stuffed our stuff in there, but uh, we're running out of room. You know, we've got bedroom furniture for our kids, for our family, for ourselves, um, I've got my library because I'm going to be pastoring. I need my books so I can study. Um, we've got our kitchen stuff, you know, as much as we could get in there. Uh, some uh, our couches, you know, for our living room. But there's, we couldn't, it came down to it, we couldn't get our, our dining room furniture in there. I had a really, a really nice set of furniture for my grandmother. Uh, and it was just a big hutch with glass. And it was just, we, we weren't going to be able to get it in. And so we abandoned it. We, we actually gave it to my brother. And, and so off to Hungary we go. And then we're, now we're looking for a house in Budapest. And we're having a hard time finding a house. We finally find a house. It's a really nice-sized home. It's going to fit us and our family. It's great. We walk in there. We're touring the house. There, there's nothing in this house except the dining room furniture. He knows what we need, doesn't he? We thought we we're going to have to, first thing we have to buy is buy some dining room furniture. Nope, there it is. It was really cool stuff, too. It was really nice. He knows what we need. We should reflect on God's awesome provision. Now, in verses 47 to 51, I want you to see this. Jesus starts summing things up and what he's trying to say and convey here. But understand he's overtly very clear about his teaching I want you to imagine Jesus speaking and gesticulating here. Truly, truly, he says in verse 47, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness and they died. Talk about Moses, right? In the wilderness wanderings with the Israelites. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. You can imagine him pointing. This is it. Verse 51. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At which point the, the people are still wrestling. So the fourth truth is this. There are just some who want to argue. But Because that's what they do. Look at verse 52. And the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? I don't get it. At this point, Jesus totally pushes the envelope with this crowd. Obviously, to us, Jesus is using hyperbole. But to the crowd, Jesus was beginning to sound like a crazy person. He sounds like a madman. Jesus used hyperbole all the time in how he taught. So you go, okay, so what's hyperbole? That's speaking over the top. That is the use of gross exaggeration to make a point. Jesus used hyperbole all the time in his teaching. Like in Matthew 18, it won't be on the screen, but you'll recall Jesus says to the crowd, and if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. What? It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown in the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown in the hell of fire. Is Jesus saying, okay, let's go get some knives and some pokers. <laughs> let's start sawing and poking. 
Is that what he's saying? No. What he's saying by way of hyperbole is sin is really bad. You'd rather cut your arm off. You'd rather poke your eye out than sin. You don't understand how destructive it is. It's hyperbole. Similarly now, he's like, you need to eat me. Some just want to argue. There will always be arguers. Do you have an argumentative spirit? By the way, God's word says that we should have nothing to do with those who stir up dissension and strife, complainers, whiners. I didn't write this. This is what Paul wrote to Titus, young little pastor protege. Hey, by the way, Titus, young pastor, you're going to have people in your church who are, they're going to be grumpy. This is what Paul says to Titus. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with them. Wow. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Boy, careful what you crab about. Some just want to argue. Sadly, some just want to argue about things that just don't really matter at all. They've lost sight of their kingdom view. And it's at this point that Jesus goes way over the top now. He's going to push the hyperbole even further as he begins his church reduction program. What? Yeah. Remember, they're all there gathered. They just want another lunch. Hey, you fed us the other day. Can we have some more lunch? No. Okay. You guys are here for the wrong reason. It's time to clear out the church. By the way, I've, I've seen this. I was at a church down in Indiana. We needed to have a church reduction program. Why? Because everybody was there for the wrong reason. Watch what happens. Verse 53. Again, imagine Jesus speaking here as he pushes harder on the hyperbole. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly. By the way, every time he says truly, truly, it's amen, amen. In the, you know, from the Hebrew. So be it, so be it. This is the way it is. This is the way it is. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Are you hearing that? Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Do you see this? He is just he is just working this crowd. Unbelievable. Whoever feeds on my flesh, verse 56, and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And you go, wow, Jesus. It's at this point in our text, people literally start walking away. I'm out. This guy's a nut job. Incidentally, it's still a very sad state of affairs for the Roman Catholic Church, who unfortunately continue to take Jesus' words literally here as they practice the principle of transubstantiation in the Eucharist. That is the Lord's Supper where they believe that the two elements of the cup and the bread become, in reality, the body and blood of Christ because of this passage. They've missed the whole point. They've missed the whole point of what Jesus is trying to convey here. Sadly, they don't see this passage as hyperbole. They see it as you need to literally eat Jesus and drink him for forgiveness of sins. What a huge tragedy of misinterpretation. First of all, in opposition to the Roman Catholic view, as we've seen, Jesus is speaking figuratively here using a very intense hyperbole. But secondly, the writer of Hebrews, Paul and Peter, all make it very clear that Jesus was sacrificed once for all. We don't need to re-sacrifice him every Sunday. Therefore, he does not need to be re-crucified over and over again through the Eucharist. Romans 6.10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. 
Hebrews 7.27, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. We don't have to keep re-crucifying Christ. Hebrews 9.12, he entered once for all into the holy places. Hebrews 10.10, offering the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ is also suffered once for sins. Do you get the idea? He died once, and that was sufficient. It was enough. And also, thematically, I'd like to remind you, by way of this particular gospel, this is now the third time in the gospel of John where we see the amazing contrast that Jesus makes between the physical and the spiritual. Do you remember Jesus pushing the envelope with Nicodemus by way of hyperbole? Hey, Nick, you need to be born again. Nick's like, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can be born again physically. I'm not talking to you about that, Nicodemus. I'm talking about you being born spiritually. Oh, light bulb, oh. The woman at the well. Chapter four. Hey, if you knew who you're talking to, you'd be asking me for some living water. Oh, sir, give me this water. It's spiritual water. That's what I'm talking to you about. Oh, Jesus, give us this bread. That'd be awesome. You guys, it's not bread. It's spiritual bread. Fifthly today, some will choose to be offended by what Jesus said. Verse 59, Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? See, they're all walking away. I'm out of here. I'm done. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, now his own guys are having trouble with what his teaching is. And he turns to them and he says, do you take offense at this? Are you offended by me saying, eat my flesh, drink my blood? Do you take offense? Are you stumbling over what I'm saying? The word here in the Greek for take offense is the Greek word scandalizo. Are you scandalized by this? Are you brought to a place of stumbling because you're doubting what I'm saying? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before, guys? Notice Jesus' conclusion to this discussion point. Look at verse 63. Are you ready? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Other translations say the flesh profits what? Nothing. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. I'm not talking to you about bread. I'm talking to you about your faith in me. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. There will be some who take great offense at what Jesus says. In verse 65, he goes on, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with them. You're, you're nuts. You're scaring me. You're bothering me. It was a church reduction program. Why? Because all you people are here for the wrong reason. And I ask you, why are you here? I hope you're not here for the wrong reasons. I hope you're here because you want more from him. You can imagine how the crowd began to thin out as many turned and walked away from Jesus. And all that's remaining is Jesus' close disciples. But there are people who are offended about what Jesus says. He seems pretty exclusive. I don't, I don't get that. doesn't seem very fair or kind. Years ago, I was a part of a ministerial group down in Coldwater, Michigan, with a bunch of other pastors, and we had a, a gal who started showing up to our, our ministerial with a bunch of evangelical pastors, and she was from the local reorganized church of Latter-day Saints. She wanted to be a part of our group. And so, because I was the president of the association, I was asked to, to handle the situation. So I met her at a restaurant, a little coffee shop, and had a little discussion with this gal. And I said, so what, what, where do you see yourself in the spectrum as a, 
as a part of the reorganized Church of Latter-day Saints. Those are the ones who stayed in Independence, Missouri, and with Joseph Smith's teaching, not those who went with Brigham Young all the way to, to Utah. So how do you see yourself in the spectrum of all the churches? you see that you're similar or different? How do you see yourself? Well, you know, our group, we're really between the Methodists and the Catholics. And I'm just like, no, you're not. (laughs) Not even close. I said to her, look, here's what Jesus said. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Do you believe that? She goes, well, I think that's mostly true. No. I said, see, this is the difference. Our group of pastors in our ministerial will die for that truth, that Jesus is the only way to the Father. And she's like, wow. I go, yeah. (laughs) That's the deal. I really don't think you're on the same page unless you want to acknowledge that truth today. She walked away. She took offense at it. Lastly, Jesus is the only one who has words of life. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? That's a great question. Everybody's leaving. All right, guys, what's it going to be? You going to stay or are you out of here too with these other people? Because I pushed the hyperbole. What are you going to do? Simon Peter pipes up, verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God, Jesus is the only one who has words of life. Peter recognized this by the power of the Holy Spirit sharing that with him. And Jesus answered them, verse 70, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. What about you guys? What about us? Will we be a part of the church reduction program? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Beloved, there are times in life where there is nowhere else to turn but to the one who can actually make the difference to the one who can help us, to the one who can save us, the one who can make all the difference, the one who loves us no matter what. He truly is the Holy One of God. There's nowhere else to go. No one comes to the Father but by him. And lastly, don't miss this comparison between belief and unbelief. Here, as exemplified by Peter and Judas, did you notice that? Peter, Lord, who shall we... To whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. And then Jesus points out, yeah, but one of you is a devil. In his faith, Peter finds direction, the light of knowledge and eternal life. In contrast, Judas in his treachery ends up lost in the darkness, in the darkness with the evil one, which ultimately leads to destruction. And I ask you, where are you this morning? Are you lost in treachery or are you found in faith? My wife makes bread. And over the course of our being together over the years, she came across a recipe that makes bread that tastes exactly like the Avanti's bread down in Peoria. And it's fantastic. This isn't it. This is, you know, 69 cents Meyer loaf. <laughs> this won't help you. But her bread is ridiculous and it's awesome. But Jesus is the ultimate bread. He's all that we need. He's the one who can satisfy. Would you please pray with me?
Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for all that you are to us. We thank you that you are the bread. You're all that we need. We're all that we're longing for. You're the one who can satisfy. We have nowhere else to turn but to you. Lord, help us to not just hear these things, but to walk in them in a real way. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the power of your word. Lord, I pray that each one in this room would turn to you and dine on you because you are our shepherd and we shall not want. Oh, Lord, that we might come, oh, that we might believe and in the process be satisfied, resting in you first and foremost, no matter what. For you are our God. You laid down your life for us that we might be restored, forgiven, made right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your outrageous kindness. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. And all God's people said, amen. Now before you leave, we have one last piece of business. We have four new members. I'm going to introduce the congregation. So at this point, I'm going to invite some folks up. So Leanna and Terry Jackson, come on up. And Brandon White and uh, Gene Drummond, come on up, guys. Tell you what, let's go, let's meet on the floor. That might be a little bit easier. Let's meet on the floor down here. It'll be easier for our buddy Gene. So you can go stand next to your guy. There he is. All right, so we have some parting gifts for our friends today. We've got certificates of membership. Uh, we've all heard the, the testimonies of these dear people, and they've shared their faith and trust in Christ and their desire to partner with us as a ministry. And so in doing so, they're partnering to help us be lifesavers, right? We're trying to reach people for the gospel, so here's your lifesaver. Sorry, one pack you get to share. Okay. You can pick your colors. <laughs> Here you go, Gene. And... Here are some certificates for you guys. It's yours, Brandon, right there. And uh, Jean down here. And Leanna and Terry, congratulations. Let's thank the Lord for these things. They're going to stand out in the hall, uh, and uh, you can greet them on your way out and say hi and introduce yourself. So go ahead and go first, you guys. Go on down the, the middle aisle there. Or get your stuff and go. But uh, you can all stand. Thank you so much for coming. Have a fantastic and beautiful day. You are dismissed.